If you want to make an audiobook, go to thetalkingbook.org. That's thetalkingbook.org. Check out these amazing writers, narrators, indie publishers. Come to Asheville. We record books in a booth. Here's the show. Hi, everyone. Chris Hartram here of The Talking Book. The Talking Book. I hope everyone is okay. I'm here in Asheville, North Carolina. My kids are asleep right now. You know the drill. Today is a special day because you can now get Body High, written and read for you by the author John Lindsay as an unabridged audiobook at thetalkingbook.org. John recorded this in New York. We edited it here in our studio in Asheville, and it sounds really awesome. John did a fantastic job. He put in a lot of work. You should already have this in your ears, and you might, but if you don't, and you need a reminder, here's an excerpt from the new audiobook, Body High, by John Lindsay. Chapter 5 The wound is fussy, oozing. I need medicine, but I'm running out of money. There's a low-cost pharmacy in Chinatown, but unless Jolene hurries, we won't make it before they close. She flops on the futon. To get her out the door, I tell her about my spinal tap and the other human research experiments, the experiments to which I volunteer my body. I shape the trials into a sob story of sacrifices I made to help my mom. She was helpless, I say, and those assisted living places they aren't cheap. In reality, government disability checks covered my mom's rent. And that's why I sold my kidney, I say, leaving out the part about the Armenian scammers who strong-armed me into the operation. Jolene holds up her hand to signal no more and says, Dude, you're kind of an idiot. She slips a bottle of white wine into her purse the dog and I follow her out the door, through the garden to the street. In my pocket, I finger the pills I stole from FF. Count them. Recount. It's a relief to be out of the apartment, out in the world, walking. Uh, which one's your car? She says. I don't drive, I say. But we can catch the bus. She shakes her head. Uh-uh. No way. Pulls out her cell phone. Tries to hail a rideshare service, but her dad's credit card won't work. <laughs> he cut you off, I say, because I want to highlight their separation. It's a glitch, she says. Let's try yours. Um, that won't work, I say. I, uh, oh, you're such a loser, she says. I flinch, because I know it's true. She's already stomping down the middle of the street. Don't step on a crack, she sings songs, or you break your mom's back. I try to ignore her, the implication of the rhyme, that I'm to blame for breaking my mom. Up in the sky, the sun is beginning to burn. 
A pill now would blot it out, stop my wounds ache, fill the cracks in the street. So what's up with FF, Jillian says. Don't, I say. What? She hooks her arm in mine and sinks our footsteps. You're too young, I say. Does he have a girlfriend, though? I could mention FF's last girlfriend. The engagement ring. The gun. Why do you care, I say. Why is he so into you, she says. I'm a great guy, I say, and finger the pills in my pocket. Truth is... I ask myself the same question about FF, and each time I think back to one night. Red and blue flashing lights, the cops searching his car, finding what he lost between the seat cushions. I remember FF's face draining of color, both of us suddenly sober, handcuffed on the curb, the sheet of LSD sealed in an evidence bag dangled from the cop's fingers. Enough hits for a felony. But because FF was 18, I said the acid was mine. I still remember the look FF gave me. Guilt mixed with what I guessed was love. He mouthed the words, I love you, or I owe you, as they cuffed me. Flaubert tugs a leash, pulling me to a traffic island. He pops a squat on yellow grass, pees like a girl dog. I watch the traffic on Figueroa and look for the bus. Jolene takes the rollies from my hip pocket. She tries to roll a cigarette and drops tobacco everywhere. My phone rings. It's FF. Receiver to ear, I roll Jolene a cigarette. FF is fired up about some wrestling scout who'll be in the audience for his match. This could be it, he says. This could be it, I say. Is that FF? Jolene rips the phone from my ear. What up? She says. Oh, yeah? She turns her back on me. That's cool. Yeah, I'll be there. She lights the cigarette. What are you listening to? Is that Madonna? She takes a drag. I'm not stupid. You're stupid. I'm going to make you a playlist. Overhead, the sun is burning. At my feet, Flaubert is breathing heavy, overheating. I should take him to the shade, but I'm transfixed by Jolene on the phone with my friend. I want her to look at me, to see me. I turn toward the curb and watch the bus pull away. Leland wants me to get off the phone, she says. Okay, smell you later. We missed the bus because of you, I say. We'll have to catch the next one at the next stop. Ah, her boots scuff the sidewalk. We keep seeing signs posted on telephone poles that say villains. These yellow signs used by cast and crew to locate movie shoots. The signs point toward Chinatown. I should swing by the shoot, Jillian says, since I'm going to be an actress and all. I laugh. I can't help it. You don't believe me, she says. I start NYU in the fall. 
She curtsies as if to applause. I'm at a loss. Not only because of the privilege she seems to have enjoyed at the expense of my mom, but also because of what Julene's acting career implies about every interaction she and I have shared. Great, I say. And your dad is paying? She rolls her eyes. So what? He should be in prison, that's what, I say. He raped my mom. I need Jolene to know this. But the way she glares at me, eyes narrow, says she already knows, says she knows better than I ever will. For the first time, her act falters and she doesn't seem so untouched. She walks away and I let her until the distance between us grows too large and I feel a tug. I need to be near her. I chase after her, nearly trip on a crack in the sidewalk. The dog's long tongue wags. We pass a street mural of an Aztec Jesus steering a lowrider across the galaxy. Wait up, I say. What? She says. I catch my breath. Do you really think you're pretty enough to be an actress? The words leave my mouth, smarmy and warm, like I've won some unspoken argument ongoing beneath the one we've already had. In a single sentence, I've shown her, this dumb teen, that she's not only the daughter of a monster, but a monster herself. She must be because what else could live through the abuse and still make plans to move away, go to college, build a life? But at the sight of Jillian's tears, the grim satisfaction of my victory gives way to remorse. She turns and runs. I count each crack she steps on as the distance between us grows. I lose sight of her, call her phone, hang up before the voicemail, call again. I only wanted her to see me, to understand that, in a way, I was also abused. Sorry, I text Jolene. Attach a sad cat face emoji. I follow the villain signs until I find Jolene at the picnic bench of a taco cart in the parking lot of a gas station. My friend, you want? The man behind the grill says. His gold chain necklace shines yellow. We got tripa, lengua, cabeza. He seems like a good guy because he holds his shoulders back and pushes out his heart. I'm sorry, I say to Jolene. I was a jerk. You're beautiful. I mean it. She is. Even here at the gas station, near the pumps. Especially here. The sun in her hair, my mother's hair. Flaubert scavenges meat off the greasy concrete. Tell me how wrong I am, I say. Tell me you're going to be famous. I don't feel like it, she says. The Leland I was looking for wouldn't have said that. The letdown in her voice shows how tenuous our link is. Barely 24 hours. Our separation, her displeasure, it panics me. I was angry, I say. I don't... 
The lengua is good, amigo, the grill guy says to another customer. I don't want you to leave, I say. I almost say, again. This is something special, I say to Julian as we cross the bridge into Elysian Park. Nobody walks like this in L.A. Don't start seeing classic rock, she says. It's a short walk from the bridge to the streets of Chinatown. Pagoda buildings, peach stucco strip malls, art galleries, noodle houses, and stalls selling whatevers that spill onto the sidewalk. But when we reach the storefront, I remember the low-cost Eastern Medicine Pharmacy. It's gone. Jars of herbs and yeast and fungi have been replaced by a marijuana dispensary slash hipster apothecary. My ass clenches, throbs. No way this place will be cheap like the old one. I'm ready to turn around and go home, but Jolene stops me. We hoofed it all this way. Yeah, but I want to tell her that I'm running out of money. But I feel like she won't understand. Fine, I say. I ring the bell. The door buzzes open. I leave Jolene outside with the dog. The woman at the counter is about my age. Blonde, no bra, on trend. She tucks her hair behind her ear. Can I help you? She says. She's pretty. Like she could have rough palms and hairy legs and it wouldn't even matter. The more I look at her, the more I feel like she is someone I could love. I glance out the window at Jolene hunched over her big gulp of wine. Mm. Let her wait. I explain my problem to the woman at the counter. She leans over the display case, listening intently. Her face shows concern. She cares. I hesitate when she asks to see the wound. We've only just met, after all. Shyly, I unfasten my belt, then my jeans. My face is hot with modesty. I squint to look out the shop window, glad that Jolene is nowhere to be seen. The woman at the counter kneels to inspect my wound. She frowns. She whips her head around in the direction of the stockroom. Ben! A guy with a beard emerges. I pull up my pants. The woman describes my wound to Ben in terrifying detail. She twists the ring on her ring finger. Ben smooths his crop of facial hair. I see his matching ring. Uh, it's a pimple probably, I say, and turn toward the door. Sometimes I get ingrown pubes too. I'm desperate to extricate myself from the shop, but Ben blocks my way. He jabbers on about his Ayurvedic medicine. He shows me the syllabi for the class he's taking. He is so earnest, so sincere, and pushy. I relent. I drop my pants again. The shop goes deathly quiet. Over my shoulder, I see Ben stroking his face farm. He looks up and down my exposed ass seemingly in contemplation of something bleak 
His wife leans closer, as if she is savoring my wound's rank bloom. From far away, I hear laughter. And there is Jolene at the window with her phone pointed at me. Oh, you should see a doctor, bro, Ben says. His wife agrees. But in the meantime, he says, they have something that will help. Maybe. He shows me an expensive salve on a shelf next to beard oil and mustache wax. I'm skeptical, of course, but he assures me it's organic, fair trade, locally sourced, and a string of other descriptors that only make me feel foolish for being poor and sick, for being desperate and unwell around this happy, healthy couple. I guess a part of me wants what they have, even a token and I'm afraid to go back to Jolene empty-handed. So I purchased the jelly with most of my remaining cash. Jolene makes a few lame jokes at my expense. Infantile stuff, really. Pathetic. Jabs that wouldn't sting at all if I didn't feel so exposed. My failures with women laid as bare as my wounded ass. Jolene doesn't dwell on my shame, though. She's too excited about having found the movie set of villains. I follow her to the parking lot of a Chinese restaurant where, sure enough, a big budget film shoot is in progress. We gawk from behind a steel barricade. But the longer we stand, the more I can sense Jolene's mood crash. We're so close, she says. Across the street at the craft service table, the film crew eats hummus. I thought being this close was going to make it feel more real, Jolene says, sitting down on the sidewalk next to Flaubert. She lets the dog lick her face. She reaches into her purse and pours more white wine into the big gulp. Seeing Jolene sulk reminds me of my mom. How she'd mope around the apartment wanting to talk about another dirtbag who'd stopped calling, about the money he owed her, about his dog dick promises. I'd try to ignore her, try to tell her without words that my morning cartoons were important to me, that I was only five, seven, ten years old. But she had no boundaries. Why doesn't he call? She'd cry from her chair by the phone. Scooch over, she'd say and nuzzle up to me on the couch, resting her head in my lap. You know I love you more than anything in the whole world, right? She'd say. I'd stroke my mom's hair and offer love advice I'd learned from rom-coms. In these situations, part of me felt lucky, very adult, like a child prodigy, eyes beyond my years trusted by my mother to hold forth on complicated adult subjects. Then again, another part of me never needed to know that the guy who worked at the liquor store where we bought Skittles gave her herpes. Damn it, I'm sick of being belittled. Sick of being stuck in this sick cycle that disconnects me from my own needs. I need to escape my family once and for all. I need to ditch Jolene. Without saying a word to her, 
I walk across the street and into the Chinatown library. I'm at ease among the smell of old books and unwashed crotches. A few wise men nap in armchairs. One snores with a sports magazine splayed over his nose. I grope the bathroom wall for a light switch. A motion sensor trips and the light turns on, showing a small room with a single toilet. I drop the pills I stole from FF on the diaper-changing table and lay a dollar bill on the top. I crush the pills into powder, use my debit card to chop lines. The bathroom light clicks off. The room is totally dark. I windmill my arms. The motion sensor trips. On come the lights. I roll the dollar into a tutor. Inhale the dust of the pills like I'm vacuuming up the high desert, the coastline beaches, the alluvial gold and the mountain streams of California. Even with the pills, my ass aches as I apply the jelly. Once I'm good and lubed, of course, I need to use the toilet. I'm hovering over the bowl when the bathroom lights click off again. I swing my arms. The lights won't turn on. I fumble for my phone. Greasy fingers slip across the screen. Instagram opens. Jolene's account. Today, she's posted photos of my futon, her langua tacos, and my ass. The newest post is of Flaubert in the library parking lot, posed beside the big gulp. The caption below the photo reads, Relationship status. In a crustacean ship. I nearly dropped the phone in the toilet. I read the word again crush station ship and feel it squeeze a hug like I'm being held against her heart someone knocks on the bathroom door is it the pills I'm feeling or is a crush station ship what I want from Jolene my aunt Jolene my sister Jolene teenager Jolene the knocking gets louder. No, I say. But in the bathroom, in the dark, I had hoped my voice would resonate with more conviction. And that was John Lindsay reading a section of Body High, originally published by House of Lod Press and now available as an audiobook unabridged from the talkingbook.org. I hope you liked it. You can get it on Audible, get it from Amazon. Just go to the talkingbook.org backslash body dash high. I'll leave the link in the show notes. I think you'll like it very much. Thanks so much to Brian Allen Ellis of House of Vlad Press, John Lindsay, the author, Dave Burr, Sarah Little, our new QC editor, Jason Moore, our proofer, and you, the listener, of Body High by John Lindsay. Go get it right now. We make books in a booth. My name is Chris Hartram. Bye. Like a bishop who has forsaken sympathy. 
chasing sister squares I was lit before I Passing over and the window of the 